amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hi, everybody. My name is David Coomer, and I'll be your host today for this podcast. Since it's almost the holidays, I kicked your usual host out, but she's a good friend, so it's all all right. I'm just going to take her spot for this week. Don't worry, she'll be back next time, and a lot better than me. I've never done this type of thing before, so sorry if it's not the best, but I'll give it my best shot. Um, anyways, about me, I'm an author from Madison, Indiana. I grew up there, and I still live there. I'm only 16 at the time I'm reading this, which you can probably tell from my voice and my inexperience, but I've written a couple of books, and some people have liked those books. Some people have not liked those books. Hopefully you would. All those are available on Amazon. You just have to search for David Duane Coomer, or um, you can search My Abigail. That's probably the most popular one. The book I'll be reading today, though, isn't in my normal genre. It's called Inden, and it's an epic fantasy novel. Not epic like I'm bragging, it's just what the genre is called. I don't really know. Anyways, that this book I'm reading is about a world much like the Dark Ages in Europe, with some creatures I invented added in. In the book, there are four countries warring with each other. There's Kellerman, Byram, Olden, and Ormdell. Now, you don't really need to know those countries, because this is just a sample from the book, but I'm just telling you those in case you're interested. The good country, with finger quotes, is Kellerman, but they're corrupted too. Much like our world today, even the best countries seem to be not that good. So in Kellerman, there's a small farm boy named Jonathan who will lead a revolution against both his home nation and the nations around it. It's a dramatic book full of wars, sieges, death, and the question of what is truly good and what is evil. There's loyalty, friendship, and an adventure across the whole world of Inden. Um, hopefully you're interested in it. If you are, it's available for pre-order right now on Amazon. Just search Inden, a dark fantasy novel, or search David Duane Coomer and you can find it. There's also a much better description there than the one I just gave you. So if you're interested at all, you should probably check that out. And there should be links in the message below this podcast. So, without further ado, here are the first two chapters of that With book. With a roar, he swept his axe low, cutting off the legs of his opponent. The screaming soldier tumbled off the wall, falling into the crowd of troops below. Lord Dargu raised his axe again, staring at the large and barbaric man directly ahead of him. It was the crucial turning point of a long war, a strategic city on the Sayak River. Olden was crushing down on the small nation of Ormdell. The city was their final hope. If they lost this city, their homelands would be open to pillaging and death. The majestic, towering city of Moslau rose up from the plains, standing against the dark forces for now. It was covered in soldiers like ants, as war raged incited and on the walls. This was Ormdell's final hope. Men screamed as they surged forward on the walls of Moslau. They raised their swords and swung, cutting through skin and sinew. Blood poured like a waterfall over the side of the stone walls, staining every inch of the glorious city. The soldiers glinted 
in early sunlight as metal beating against metal sent clangs and crashes up from the battle. Lord Dargu, Dwarf King of Ormdel, charged forwards, leading the battle on the wall. They were trying to retake the city and win a battle they were losing. He led the rush of soldiers, crushing against the enemy. They were forcing them back, inch by inch, as they retook the walls. The olden soldier ahead of him was waving a heavy sword with both hands, squaring up against the king of Ormdel. For Ormdel, the king screamed, rushing at the enemy soldier. He jumped in the air, bringing his axe down on the man's head. There was a disgusting cracking sound as the enemy's skull imploded and brain specks flew out, smothering the axe. Press forward, Lord Dargu shouted. Drive them off our walls. Win back this city. Even as he struck another soldier dead, his own men swarmed around, protecting him. With a group of friendly fighters in front of him, he relaxed for a minute. Lord Dargu was about to thunder forwards into the battle when he heard somebody shout his name from behind. Lord, cried the hoarse voice again. His own soldiers were now pushing the enemy far back. So Lord Dargu turned around and away from the battlefront. There was a small dwarf holding his axe tightly. The man's eyes were exhausted and his skin sweaty, but his features gave the sense of urgency. The king stepped forwards and clasped arms with his fellow dwarf. Lord Dargu, his long, dark beard rose as a smile formed across his face. It's great joy to see you, friend, he said with a deep voice. The dwarf nodded, but spoke in a hurried, jerky voice. Yes, my lord, but look, lord, bad news. He gestured out at the horizon and squeaked, curling his arms against his chest fearfully. Lord Dargu turned and peered across the fields in front of their city. The olden army was routed, fleeing from Moslau, but in the far horizon there was a great cloud of dust. Storms of men were heading over the land in their direction. It was an army too great to be numbered and too dense to make out. Like one swift disease, it was spreading toward their homeland. What is this? Lord Dargu's shaky voice faded, even as the cheers of victory went up from around them. Navarro has brought them all, Lord. The king of Olden is here, with his army. We don't stand a chance, said Lord Dargu, wiping sweat from his forehead. Praying to all the gods he knew, he asked for mercy on their doomed souls. How long until they arrive? Our scouts say a few hours. My lord, when they get to the city, they will burn it. We have to leave, don't you think? Lord Dargu did not answer at first. He gazed back at the remaining soldiers in the city. On the ground below them, they were celebrating and cheering, because they could not see the army on the horizon. All across the walls, however, all the troops were terrified. From this perch, they could also see the olden soldiers, the doom that was coming to their country. The king bowed his head. Yes, we must leave. On boats, the dwarf asked. We could sail to the south of our kingdom and regroup there. If we hold out long enough, we might get help from the human nations. The Syak River ran alongside the city of Moslau, flowing out to the west where the enormous Omega Sea lay. The river watered their crops and citizens. It was the sole reason Moslau had flourished over the last many years, but this time it could not save them. The river is close, mused the king. But no, we must retreat by foot. If we go through the mountains, we will be quicker than them. We can stay in Warsborn in the south. The king focused on the steps a bit ahead that led down to the city ground. He directed his steps toward them as the small dwarf tripped after, trying to keep up. Won't they follow us there? They might attack Warsborn then. The dwarf groaned, throwing his hands up. This is hopeless. They may follow, 
but we can send a message to Kellerman. They share a border with Olden, and they could help us attack, the king said, approaching the staircase. The human kingdom? The dwarf asked incredulously. But they don't ever help us. You know it. They might. The dwarf sighed. But what if they don't? The king stopped when they reached the ground. Then we are truly doomed. Within minutes, the order was given to flee. Every citizen would gather their families, and then in one long line they would leave the homeland. Evacuating the city was quick work, but at times the people fell into panic and trampled each other. They were all pushing to get out of the back gate, which pointed south and towards their destination. Possessions were mostly left behind, although some people brought with them what they could carry in their arms. The livestock was set free to roam, all the horses brought along to load supplies on, and any food wrangled from the city was put in pouches and bags. The possibility of starving in the mountains was very real and very sobering. Despite this, Lord Dargu insisted that they had to travel by foot. They had the advantage of quickness and experience, knowing much more about the mountains than Olden did. If they chose to travel by boat, there was the danger of an Olden fleet. It would be just like Navarro to set up his boats and then wait to kill them as they tried to escape. They would have surely been sunk. For all these reasons, it was better to go by land. As the herds of humans and dwarfs were flooding out of the gate, with soldiers attempting to keep them in line, Lord Dargu sat quietly on his horse observing. His general, Templeton, sat beside him, glancing around at the city. He was drinking in the home soon to be burned, and the walls that would crumble within a day. The whole city would be ashes, the battlements fallen to the ground, the crops raided and gone. Mosla would fall, and Olden would have opened the gateway to victory. It's the worst part of war, Lord Dargu said simply. I hate seeing friends die, homes burned, and all the treasure we've gathered burned to dust. If we don't move quickly, the army will overtake us, said the general. He nodded vaguely at the crowds of people. They will slaughter us, and them. Fear can do many things, said the king. If they understand what is coming, they will move faster, and we will be fine. But do they understand, king? They will. Silence enveloped the two companions as they sat in the morning sunlight. Last night's battle had taken its toll on the both of them. Exhausted as they were, exhausted as they all were, they had to move. It was a trick move by Olden. They had attacked by surprise in the middle of the night. If not for the quick speed of Ormdale's scouts, they would have been caught entirely off guard and massacred. As it was, they had prepared enough to withstand the first surge of the army. When the Iron Gate had finally broken, they fought their hardest and gained the victory. Now, despite it all, they were once again retreating, once more running from a foe, they could not defeat on their own. These are dark times, friend. The king folded his arms, burdening to keep his head tall. It would have been easier to fall forwards and lean against his horse, or even more to ride back and fight to the death. Dying was terrible, but retreating was worse. They are, yes. Our country is doomed, it seems. Lord Dargu shook his head. Not just us. Inden as a whole is seeing dark times, more than any in our life. Kellerman is weak, Byram is lazy, and we are fading quickly. Until something changes, there will be nothing left. I really like this city, General Simpleton said thoughtfully. I like the gigantic walls, the gleaming buildings, and the way the sun sets over the plains. Get your last glances then, friend. We won't be back here. This is all we have had, and we are leaving it behind. 
You're quite the dramatic type, Templeton joked. He smiled feebly, but it was gone in an instant. Am I dramatic, or is this just war? Now isn't the time for one of our theological discussions, my lord. The king sighed, wrapping a hand in the reins of his horse. I suppose you're right, and it's almost time to go, anyways. The chestnut horse began its steady walk out of the city. The last of the citizens had passed through the gate, and so they went ahead. While Templeton remained facing forward, the king peered around with the wonder of a small child, drinking in the hauntingly empty sights of the city. He wondered how close the olden army was now. Do you really think there's hope for us, Templeton? The king asked quietly. I was about to ask you the same. A bird perched above them on the city wall. It was surrounded by its fellow clan of poultry, until they flew off into the sky. Yet the one bird remained, standing alone defiantly on the wall. Lord Argu scratched his beard absent-mindedly and smiled to himself. I never thought I would leave this place for good. We will return, the general assured him. No, said Lord Argu. I don't think we will. This very well could be the end, Templeton. We have gone through much together, my lord. No need to call me that, the king grinned. I am not your lord. We are friends who find themselves presently on the brink of death and have fulfilled all of their lifelong dreams. He chuckled, but as they passed outside of the city walls, a tear rolled down the king's face, mixing into his beard. Not all of them, Templeton said. What haven't we done? You still haven't beat me in a sword fight, friend. Lord Dargu chuckled as they passed out, out of the city gate and into the warm sunshine. Far behind them in the distance, the army of Oldham was warring. The only thing between them and the fleeing people was the single bird. Fast forward now world. to chapter 4. Far across the continent, in the Balada Valley, Jonathan and his village have just been attacked by barbarians. Jonathan himself barely survived, but everybody else in the village either died or was captured. His brother Emmett has been taken by the barbarians, and Jonathan was only spared because he collapsed on the other side of a hill, where he was hidden from sight. But that night, something else happens, something that will change his life forever. Chapter 4 To Derview But death did not come, not in that moment, and not in the seconds, minutes, and hours afterward. He lay still beside the lake, his skin burning from the sun. One arm rested in the cool water, but the rest of him was smoldering. The hill he had fallen down shielded him from worse danger, as on the other side barbarians rampaged the town and all the surrounding countryside. They reached his house and quickly burned it, leaving only piles of charred wood and burnt crops. Even as he lay unconscious, Jonathan became homeless. His world on the other side of the hill was falling to pieces. Women were taken and raped, brave townsmen were trampled and tortured, and at the end of the day, altars were erected, and little children placed on them, screaming and burning alive, as their flaming bodies illuminated the festivals. Only a few feet away from Jonathan, Slick writhed in pain, blood pouring out where the arrows were piercing her stomach. At last, the horse fell still and died, gazing with hopelessness at her owner, master, and friend. It was well into night when a band of riders finally emerged on the hill. They were sweaty and breathing hard, having just slain a handful of barbarians who remained in the city. Most of the tribe had left. Now, these riders on horses were the only witnesses of the carnage behind them. Their armor clanked noisily as the horses trotted down towards the lake. From the distance, they would follow the Balada River 
which could lead them to safety in the city of Derview and away from the barbarians. There was a boy beside the lake, and all of his eyes, all of their eyes went to him. Alive or dead? one of the riders asked, his face obscured by darkness. The leader, a sturdy, well-built man, gazed at the motionless body beside the lake. Alive, I'd say, though I'm not sure how much longer. A sudden gust of wind blew his cloak out behind him and ripped the hood off his head. He dismounted quickly and paced over to the boy and his horse lying not far away. Kneeling, he felt the horse and pronounced it dead. Moving over to the boy, he said, But he's fine. Let's bring him along. Bring him along? One man asked incredulously. We're supposed to be fighting barbarians, not picking up random town boys from pawns. And do you see his hair? White. White hair. That could be a disease, or... It's not a disease, the leader said firmly. Did you see the town back there? Another rider questioned. I'd say we're doing a mighty poor job of fighting the barbarians. Agreed, said the leader. And this boy is almost of age, if not already. Derview isn't far from here. We can go there, and I'll send a dispatch to the king. But Sir Richard, we can't take... Ignoring the bickering and discussion, Sir Richard heaved the boy onto his own horse, placing the stirrups around the town person's bloody feet. Jumping behind the young man, who was leaning forward against Lucilene's mane, Sir Richard led the way towards the river. Are we going to stop for the night, someone called much later? Everything was completely dark now, and Sir Richard only knew the right direction by following the river to his right, as moonlight illuminated it. Slowing down to a more comfortable pace for conversation, Sir Richard heard somebody yawn behind him. Turning around in his seat, he felt the boy stir, but not wake. You all can set up camp somewhere, he responded, but I'm going to ride on. At this pace, I'll get to Derview by daybreak. Why are you so anxious to get there? Someone asked, sounding irritated. You all set up camp here, he said, avoiding the question, and watch out for animals. Meet me in Derview sometime tomorrow. Before they could argue, he was off again, loosely galloping through the night. He listened carefully, wondering if any would follow. After a minute, he recognized they were not. With the freedom of riding alone, he picked up speed. Let's go, Lucy, he whispered. A light touch with his heel made her race even faster as wind whipped past his head and the moon peered down. Jonathan's head lolled to the side and, somewhere between conscious and asleep, he felt a soft mane of hair, only it was different, not belonging to Slick. A solitary tear rolled down his face, unnoticed by Sir Richard, and then he fell back into darkness and thought no more. Day broke suddenly and quietly, the sun lighting up dew droplets on the grass riverbanks as Lucilene flew past them. Every pound of her hooves on the ground brought them closer to Derview, which loomed in the distance, towers erupting toward the sky, and walls blasted by sunlight, yet still as cold and gray as ever. It was a dreadful city, and for the first impression Jonathan would get of the kingdom as a whole. Bruised and sore, he slowly returned to consciousness. Although he enjoyed the warmth of the soft mane, he sat up. He winced as the sunlight blinded him. Squinting in all directions, he could just make out a river to their right, a large rocky plain to their left, with mountains rising beyond. They were still much closer than any mountains he had seen at home. Hello there, a deep friendly voice said from behind him. Only then did he realize that somebody else was sitting on the horse as well. Turning his neck, which ached terribly, he saw shoulder-length black hair and a frizzled beard. Calm blue eyes stared at him, full of questions. Jonathan grunted an acknowledgement and turned back around, facing the city. 
He meshed his hair self-consciously. That's a big city, he commented absent-mindedly. For the moment, he could remember nothing of why he was here, who this man was, and where they were headed. He remembered something about falling down a hill towards a lake, and knew that Slick wasn't with them. No, it's not, the man behind him said. Compared to any of the western ones, it's a tiny city. You go there often? Of course I do. I'm a knight. Jonathan chuckled hoarsely, although there was nothing amusing in this statement. Everything was still a haze, and nothing he said really connected. So you fight a lot, then? Yes. And you picked me up from the lake? Yes. Where are you taking me? Jonathan asked. Derview, that city ahead. What's your name? He hesitated. Jonathan. A lull in the conversation brought back all the memories of the previous day. The start of the battle, the man Fuller who helped him, that same man dying. Then their attack from the rooftops, running to Slick, Emmett being taken away. No, I can't go, he shouted, thrashing around. What are you talking about? The knight asked. He forced Jonathan against the man controlling him. Stop it, boy. Answer me. Why not? The barbarians took my brother. We tried to fight them, but they they won and they took him. Sir Richard hummed thoughtfully for a minute, relaxing his grip. Jonathan was about to yell out again when the knight asked calmly, So that was your town back there? What? Before we picked you up, we saw a town, or at least what was left of it. Yeah, yeah, that's where we fought, but I need to... I know, the man interrupted, but we have to go to Derview first. No, don't talk. Listen. Me and my group of men have been fighting barbarians for the past few months, going around this area. Some raided your town, burned it, and killed prisoners in the forest. There were sacrifices of children, and terrible, terrible things done. We found women and young girls, but it seems the young boys were spared, possibly to be raised by the barbarians and become part of their clan. I think I know where their camp is at, and if we attack there, we can save those boys. And Emmett, he's there too? Maybe. Your brother should be fine. This particular tribe likes to bring people into their group instead of killing them. There are some that are much worse. Where is your soldiers you talked about? Jonathan asked. They're horsemen, and they stayed back last night. I said I'd get you to Derview first thing in the morning, so we rode through without sleeping. Should have been there an hour ago, but Lucilene's getting tired. Who? This here, he patted the horse, is Lucilene. I'm Sir Richard, grandson of Prince Joachim. He said the last part casually, as if it were nothing extraordinary, but Jonathan felt a joke of shock at the name. Prince? You're the prince's grandson, so you're in line to be king. Yes, it would seem so, although I hardly doubt I'll ever get the chance. As a matter of fact, I don't want the chance. Being a king would be so tedious, especially as the ruler of this kingdom. I'm sorry, but I don't understand, said Jonathan, confused. Why couldn't you be king? My grandfather, the prince, Sir Richard began, is old, and not strong. He's more cruel than I care to admit. My great-grandfather, King Perseus, is kind and fair, but has even less time to live. And then there's my father, who is weak, and does not do much. King Perseus was a very young man when he had his first child, the prince. The prince was also very young when he had my father, who was twenty when he had me. Because of all this, I've gotten to know my great-grandfather, who is almost ninety, it was a shock to me that he still does as much as old as he is. Of all the three, the king certainly does the most. But what does the king have to do? Jonathan asked. Are we at war? At war? Sir Richard laughed dryly. 
You have much to learn. War is hardly ever so clear-cut, and they're hardly ever called wars when they actually happen. They only are given that name in the books of history. If you think the king's job is easy, listen to our current situation. To the north we have Byram, who refuses to take sides in conflicts and always has an air of mystery about them. We never know what they're up to. They are smarter, richer, and a constant nagging in our minds. To the west there is Olden, large and powerful, but terribly evil for the most part. They are the main threat right now, and we have no idea just how massive their forces are. Even worse, we have no allies and grow weaker and poorer every day. Olden controls tiny Ormdale, who puts up a good fight, but is too weak. At the moment, they are being crushed, and soon will be part of Olden. They fight bravely, but in vain. Our place is to appease all three nations, by acting friendly but careful towards Byram, disapproving of but not angering Olden, and supplying Ormdale with food and weapons, but not blatantly supporting their cause. Sounds confusing, said Jonathan simply. It's very. But as you can see, outright war would be easier on the king than all of these diplomatic issues. In war, the king can assign generals and start campaigns. The only thing he has to worry about is the cost and... You speak of the king as if you were just a normal person. I mean, he isn't your family, after all, so why do you talk as if he wasn't? He is indeed, mused Sir Richard, but our relationship isn't the typical kind, even the one with my direct father. I serve both of them, fulfilling whatever missions they appoint me. I don't know love from either of them, especially my father. What is that? Sir Richard waved his hand wearily, batting away the question. This is talk for some other time. Right now, I'm tired, and we're almost there. Jonathan, who had been watching the grass fly past below, looked up eagerly. He saw a large iron gate being raised even as they got closer. It was set in a wall of massive stone, which rose higher than anything Jonathan had seen. As they joined the main dirt road, which ran through the gateway and into the city beyond, he saw a few soldiers on the battlements. Instead of keeping an eye on the distance and watching for approaching armies, they were chatting with each other. Sir Richard hummed disapprovingly as one of them chuckled and nearly dropped his spear over the battlements. I've always said that Darview has the worst soldiers in the kingdom. They're just having a laugh. Yes, but just having a laugh could cost the city precious time if an army was approaching. You really think an army would come to attack Darview? asked Jonathan without a hint of worry. These are dangerous times. Thank you everybody for staying with me today. If you're still listening by, th by this point, then you're pretty awesome, and I'm surprised you took a chance on it. Hopefully this is better than you thought it would be, or at least not a complete failure. I've really never done anything like this before, so I did my best. Hopefully I'll get better at it, either way. I hope the book interests you as well, and if it does, like I said, it's called Inden, and you can go to Amazon and search either Inden, a dark fantasy novel, or search David Coomer or David Duane Coomer. You should be able to find it. For right now, it's only 99 cents for Kindle, but that price will go up once it's actually released. As I'm reading this, it's on pre-sale, so better go get your copy now. The print editions will be up pretty soon as well. I'll get to work on that as soon as I finish this, actually. Again, I really hope you enjoyed this reading, and if you have any questions or comments at all, email me at davidcoomer7 at gmail.com. 
I'd love to talk to you, and I'd love to know what you thought of this. Thanks to the host for letting me take a week and do this. It's been really fun, and I really appreciated it. Thank you all for listening to me. You guys are awesome, and I hope you liked it too. See you guys. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.